Well, good morning, North River family and friends. It's a winter weekend, and so it's a good time to be at home with our family and our roommates and the scriptures to warm ourselves up. I'm actually, um, it's, uh, it's a threatening forecast this weekend. I think we know that. So we're not having church here in person, you know, today, but uh, we will uh, begin again, 9 a.m. in the Lighthouse, next Sunday at 11 a.m. here, and uh, stay posted on the website and on the Thursday email, and you can get all the details there. I I'm alone here in the North River uh, Auditorium uh, today, um, actually not completely alone because the Holy Spirit is here, and the indomitable Michelle Wright and Chase McIntosh are here with me. So we're having church together, and it's a Saturday, actually, early afternoon, because we're taping in advance, you know, so we can, you know, be ready in case the weather is pretty rough, you know, tomorrow, you know, tomorrow morning. But we're going to uh, start a new series this Sunday. It's entitled, For Me to Live is Christ. It's a study in the book of Philippians, and it's going to be a tremendous few weeks together. You know, the Bible is actually a library. It's filled with so many different books that, well, the Bible says they're all inspired by God. God breathes, and they're there to help a man or woman of God be complete and ready for any and every good work. As, as you start studying the Bible initially, in the, in the New Testament especially, most people start in the Gospels, and there you meet Jesus, and you get inspired with him, and you get, uh, you understand he, he's more than a teacher. He's more than a great example. He is, in fact, the Son of God, the resurrected one, and it changes your life. It certainly did mine decades ago. And then you kind of go through the book of Acts. The book of Acts, it's so exciting. It's inspirational. You see the lifestyle of the early Christians and the DNA of the early church, and that's inspiring. And really the whole New Testament, Old, Old Testament is that way. But for me, in my humble opinion, the book of Philippians just may be the greatest book in the entire Bible, especially as someone continues to grow in Christ and, and they work hard to guard their heart and also to be at peace no matter what happens in, in our lives. So for this uh, week, we're starting in chapter 1. And my theme this morning is to live as Christ. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, just a very simple verse. For me to live is Christ. And to die, it's gain. Life is defined by Jesus Christ. The goal is to know Christ and to become more and more like him. This is very similar to the book of Colossians chapter 3, written about the same time, where Paul talks to the church and he says, okay, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, or set your hearts on the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Now watch this. For you died. And your life, your true life now, your life is now hidden with Christ in, in, in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear 
with him in glory. Once again, here and in countless other passages in the Bible, it's made clear that Christianity truly defined and understood as it was presented by Jesus and the apostles. It's more than a religion. It's more than a lifestyle choice. It's more than a theological construct or a, a, a spiritual social club. What, what the church of Jesus Christ is really all about is a complete life surrender to Jesus Christ. You remember in Luke chapter 14, it says, this is something not to be entered into without a great deal of thought and counting the cost, because as he said in Luke chapter 14, in verse 33, right after he told us to count the cost, he said, because if you don't give up everything you have, you can't be my disciple. Wow, the vivid memory for me when I think back on it, it sometimes seems like just, just yesterday. It uh, was 1969. It was in the fall. And every, every Thursday night in my dorm, Tressler Hall, at 10 o'clock there was a meeting of a small group of guys, and they called it a soul talk. And they they did pull me into that, you know, maybe every other week or so. And I remember sitting down in a small group of guys, and they were discussing Luke chapter 10, where a religious leader comes up to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, hey, listen, you know the Bible. What do you read? And the fellow quotes, well, to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, and your neighbor is yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Now do it, and you will live eternally. The discussion that night went on to talk about what it meant to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And it just, my, I didn't have very many moments of spiritual enlightenment at that point in my life, 18, 19 years old. But it hit me like a ton of bricks. As I sat there and I listened, didn't say a word. I've never in my life loved anything with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength, no relationship, no sport, no anything, not even myself. And, and there I, I really came to, to faith in Christ and that believing in Jesus and having confidence in him enough to make that kind of decision, you know, made all the difference in the world. For me to live as Christ, I just want to ask us at the beginning of this lesson, the beginning of the series, is that true for me and you? Is that what we're aspiring to? For me to live, it's Christ. I'm following him, being a part of his band of brothers and sisters, and the absolute confidence that to die is gain. Let's open up our Bibles now and go to uh, Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to go through several of these verses. I think it's going to be really meaningful for all of us together. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, along with the overseers and deacons. It's so interesting. Even in the first verse, you, you can hardly read one verse here in Philippians without some tremendous insight. First of all, Paul and Timothy, who were recognized leaders there in the church, and Paul was an apostle himself. Timothy, an evangelist, they introduced themselves with no title other than a servant. 
that they were servants of Jesus Christ because the titles belong to the next phrase, you know, to the saints. And this is amazing. This is what Christians were called in the first century. So if you're a Christian, a disciple, you're a saint. Maybe if you're watching this and you're with a wife or a husband or some kids or friends, kind of look over and say, how you doing, St. Larry? How you doing, St. Donna? Because that's what we are, the called ones, the holy ones. But the real title belongs in this next part of the verse to God the Father. And isn't that amazing? That's how we're viewed in the New Testament, to look to God and to, to understand and to view Him and to communicate with Him as our Father. And then the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a title. Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves, we're just servants for your sake. Second Timothy, our second Corinthians chapter 4, you know, in verse 5. But, you know, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's kind of double back on, on what the book of Philippians is really, you know, all about. We've got this map up here, if you, if you can see it. Uh, this is Paul's second missionary journey up to this point. The preaching of the Word of God outside of Jerusalem and Judea uh, went out into the areas of Asia Minor, and as these churches were established, and then, you know, the, um, the Apostle Paul has intents to continue that, and the Holy Spirit makes a change in direction. And so, we're going to double back to Acts chapter 16, as you turn back in your Bible to Acts 16. This is where the church in Philippi is established, and this is where we get some insight even to the things that we're going to read in the letter of Philippians and study over the next few weeks. Okay, let's open up and go to Acts chapter 16. I'm going to put up on the screen uh, a reading from Acts chapter 16, beginning in, in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and, and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the Word of God in Asia. That's interesting. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. And so, the, the plan, let's keep working here in Asia Minor, the Holy Spirit says, no, we're going we're to take a leap here. And here's what happens next. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. This is what we now know as Europe. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them as well. Led by the Holy Spirit, you know, that causes you to kind of stop and go, whoa, what about me? What about us? Are, are we in tune with God's Spirit as He kind of leads us? And sometimes when things are blocked, we can get a little bummed out, but He's simply steering us in a little different direction. And uh, it's exciting as we keep on reading because we're, we're headed over now to Philippi and uh, the conversion of someone called Lydia. Here's how we keep on reading. So, setting sail, we're now in verse 11, if you're following along here. So, setting sail from Troas, they're going across uh, into Europe, we, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. What the background is, 
here is that uh, Paul uh, begins preaching as he always did as he went into these, these various cities. He does some miracles. He preaches. And here we go, a riot breaks out. I mean, it happens here. It happens in the next town in Thessalonica because this response to Jesus is never neutral. I mean, you have one way to go or the other in many times, and it's a threat, you know, to many folks. And so they, um, they actually put Paul and Silas in jail. Now, what happens next as we continue to read is pretty, uh, is pretty exciting, you know, at the time, it wasn't feeling that exciting because they threw Paul and Silas in jail. And it says they, with many blows, they put them into prison. They ordered the jail to, uh, to keep them. And having received this order, he put them in the inner prison, not just outside with the normal folks, but even deeper down into the prison and had their feet fastened in stocks. I mean, it was overkill here, but that's what Paul and Silas were, uh, were experiencing. Now, what happens is we keep on you know, as we keep on reading, at, uh, at about midnight, the Bible tells us, and Luke records, that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, that's amazing. That's, a, that's, that, that's quite a response. I mean, I, I think about this, I go, really? In the darkest hours that they experienced, they were singing and they were praying does that sound like your worst moments in 2020? As you look back on it, is that what I, we found ourselves doing, singing and praying to God? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. That's why I put these other scriptures here that you may be looking at right now. This, this is something that Paul just didn't preach it. He lived it out. And when he says in the book of Philippians a little bit, you know, later on, when he tells us in Philippians chapter 4, remember, he's, a, he's in prison right now, around 60 to 64 A.D. Nero is the uh, emperor of Rome. Paul's in prison, you know, in Rome. And writing from there as he's writing in Philippians as we kind of move forward into chapter 4, Paul says this, Rejoice always in the Lord. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness or kindness be known to everybody, but don't be anxious about Anything, being in jail at midnight, thrown there and being persecuted for no real reason at all is something to be anxious about. And what's going to happen next? But don't be anxious about anything. But he says, in everything, by prayer and request and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. What's it going to do? It's going to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Paul just didn't write these things. He lived them out. And as he went to Thessalonica, the next city that he gets in, and the same thing happens, preaching a riot, you know, run out of town in, in Acts chapter 17, he, he writes back to the little church in Thessalonica, and he just tells them, rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And don't quench the Holy Spirit. Actually, I mean, it's just inspiring when you think about it, but it's, it's more than just inspiring. It's powerful. What happens next if you're reading along? The prisoners were listening to them, 
and suddenly there was a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison are shaking. Immediately all the doors are open. Everybody's bonds are, un, uh, you know, un, unfastened. And so what caused that earthquake? Singing and praying. Well, we know it was God. It was God who answered it. But it was precipitated by all of this challenge with singing and praying, a spiritual response, and God moves. This is the way God works so many times in our life. What a powerful thing it is to pray, to sing, to trust God, you know, together. And, uh, you know, as we go on here, we meet this, this colorful, you know, Philippian, you know, jailer, uh, his response initially, because all of the, the shackles are loosened and the prisoners are free, and he's about to kill himself because he's going to lose his life for losing his prisoners anyway, and uh, he starts crying out. Well, Paul cries out, hey, don't heart, harm yourself. Don't hurt yourself. The jailer sees him as, well, sirs, what do I do to be saved? He's probably talking physically. Paul will turn it spiritually, and he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ my friend, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Now, the Bible goes on to say, and he spoke the word of the Lord to him and everybody in his house. So Paul taught him about Jesus. And uh, he took him that same hour of the night, the jailer did, and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. He and his whole family. <laughs> it still amazes me. It amazes me. The pattern in the Bible is so clear. The theology of the Bible is like so clear. And yet we still have large, popular churches today. They help somebody, quote, unquote, receive Christ or come to Christ, and they schedule a baptism three months later or weeks and weeks later. We're going to have a baptism service. <laughs> this is so far from the New Testament pattern. When you're ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you're baptized. For me, it was 4 a.m. in the morning, one Thursday, you know, morning. For the Ethiopian uh, eunuch, he's on, the, on a chariot right across the desert. They find some water, boom, you know, right there. In Lydia's case, in the Philippian jailer's case, and it's, uh, it, it's exciting to see these lives, you know, change. And then... Um, the, uh, the magistrates get a little nervous. Paul's a Roman citizen. They say, we blew it here. They encourage him to kind of take off and, uh, you know, and leave. And so uh, the Philippian jailer is rejoicing with, uh, with, with God. And so the Philippian Church of Christ is born. At first, just a little house church. Then it becomes a small congregation. And as Paul writes this letter... Ten years later, it's a mature church. It has elders, overseers. It has deacons, as an evangelist. And uh, it's such an example for all of us to this very day. As we go back to the text in Philippians, okay. So that's the background of the book of Philippians. It'll, it'll be meaningful for you to spend some more time in Acts chapter 16 and and uh, meditate on it yourself and be excited about lives being changed and rejoicing in whole families coming to Christ. See, see, in the Lord we are family. It's so clear as you read uh, the book of Philippians and everywhere in, uh, in the Scriptures, particularly the New Testament. And Paul says here in uh, 
Some verses I'd like us to reflect on over this next week before uh, we come back together and continue on in the book of Philippians. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you, always in every prayer for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We're just talking about praying continually for each other. I sure hope that we're growing in that. It's clear in the scriptures we pray all kinds of prayers all the time for each other, for all of us. This next passage is, is full of so much encouragement as he goes on in the book of Philippians and he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn with the affection of Christ Jesus for all of you. I, um, I got here earlier today um, so I could spend some time on my normal Saturday walk before I, I, I preach and where I'm in here in the auditorium and I walk through the aisles and I kind of reflect on where many of you sit or have sat in, uh, you know, the months gone by. And um, this, this time I, I, remembered, uh, I remembered a song that I heard, this had to be back in the 70s, that was based on this very verse, First uh, Philippians 1, chapter 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And it was uh, the, the chorus of the song uh, went like this. He who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in you. And I walked up and down the aisles. And I must have sung that song today 50 times. I went up and down the aisles. He'll be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. Now, up and down the aisles and thinking about you guys and praying for you and praying this prayer, this prayer of confidence that he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. We are friends. We are close brothers and sisters, you know, in Christ. It's, it's been a crazy couple of years. We haven't been, all been able to be together at the same time for quite a long time. It's great to meet on Zoom and in smaller groups, but we haven't seen each other, and we're wondering how we're all doing. And, but to have the confidence that, the confidence that God will bring us through and also to have each other in our heart. Do you see this? Do you see the Scripture? And to have this yearning and affection for you, it's normal to long and want to be with your Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. And to have a growing affection for one another. And the next verse says it really well. Or actually, this is a, this is a passage from Philippians chapter 4, the first verse, the end of it, where Paul, again, the same theme. He just says, my brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, my dear friends who I love and long for. This is the, this is, this is the spirit. I mean, can you imagine if we all thought about each other this way, 
that we loved and longed for each other, and we had deep affection for each other, and we're brothers and friends, and we have our joy in their, in their crown, our big, diverse Christian family. What kind of year is it going to be if we allow God's Spirit to help us have that kind of heart, that kind of spirit in our lives? The next verse goes on to, to say it even more completely. Paul's prayer, what is the prayer it's that our love may abound more and more. It's what Tom McGurk talked about last week, John chapter 13, loving one another as I have loved you with knowledge and all discernment so you may approve what is good and excellent in the will of God filled with the fruit of righteousness. The, um, as we keep reading through the book of Philippians and as we keep uh, being a church family, together in smaller groups until we can more of us be together on a consistent basis, always being devoted, you know, in our small groups. Let's really work to have this kind of heart for each other. It's, it's the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. When you keep on reading in chapter 1, and we'll double back on this as we go into some other chapters because there are these verses 12 through 20 where uh, Paul's in prison, he's reflecting on it, um, He's, uh, he's rejoicing even though some people are preaching actually some wrong doctrine and with lousy motives, and yet he still has such a great spirit. I'm just thankful Jesus Christ is being, is being preached, and he gets down to our, 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 our powerful theme scripture this morning in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the flesh, that just means fruitful labor for me. But I can't really choose. I'm hard-pressed between one or the other. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That's far better. But to remain here in the flesh is more necessary for you. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. Hey, this is why we're here. If we're still here, if we're still alive, it's why we're here, to help each other make progress and joy in our faith. Paul understood it and something we want to and need to understand more and more. And then this amazing thought that to die, to die is actually gain. The book of Hebrews in chapter 2, this is amazing couple of verses where it says that Jesus became like us in our flesh and blood. He went through the same things that we did that he might destroy. He might destroy the one who has the power of death and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. You, you tell me, who else can do that? Destroy the one who has the power over death. That's only Jesus Christ only in following him. And he also releases us with a faith in Christ from the fear of death. Throughout history, mankind has been intimidated by death, a fear of death. It's always been there, part of it, fear of the unknown. But through Jesus Christ, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We've suffered some losses over the last uh, couple of weeks, some of our members here, some former members in other places have, 
have gone on. They've left this earth. And um, there's always the loss that we feel. There's a very special family here at North River, the Ventura family that um, lost dad, uh, Edwin, uh, just a couple of days ago. Um, Edwin had brain cancer and um, had a great fight and a great spirit, and, um, but lost that battle a few days ago. And the family uh, is suffering and hurting, and Edwin had a very hard last uh, part of his life. But and, and we do mourn with those who mourn, just as the Bible, you know, tells us is natural for a Christian to do. But, you know, this is also a story of great inspiration. You see Edwin here surrounded by uh, his family, his wife on one side and his daughter Bree on, on the other. Bree actually became a disciple through the uh, outreach of our campus ministry at KSU in uh, March of 2018. And then mom, Ada, about six months later, also was baptized, you know, into Christ. And then uh, Edwin, uh, about seven months later, was baptized, you know, into Christ. Just like, just like Lydia and just like the Philippian jailer, families, the Ventura family together was baptized. And, and, and that was inspiring. And we know Bree and Ada and the whole family that, that you're hurting now, and it's been a tremendous loss. But just also know you're deeply loved, and the best is yet to come, because in Christ, to die is gain. No eye has seen, no ear heard, or the mind of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. This chapter, you know, ends by uh, a challenge. And he just tells us, hey, you need to let your life be worthy of the gospel. So whether I come or I just hear about you from here, you know, in prison, I can hear that you are standing firm. Now watch this. In one spirit, one mind, striving side by side. We're talking about great unity and camaraderie and togetherness in the local church. Side by side, one mind, one spirit, contending for the faith of the gospel. Why is this so important? Because the apostle already knows there's some friction around the edges in the church, you know, in Philippi. There, there's maybe some discontent, some discouragement. And he actually addresses it directly in chapter 4 in the book of Philippians. He, he, uh, he, he addresses, and this is, this is in a public way to a church, the letter written to the entire church, he, he, he addresses this and he says, hey, I plead with you, I entreat with you, Euodia and Zenteki, to agree in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, true yoke fellow or companion, help these women. They've labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. What's going on here? We, We've got two great sisters who've been really over the years worked so hard and done so much and served so many, you know, you know, in the church, but they've gotten sideways. 
They're, they're not focused on the Holy Spirit or the Scriptures or their closeness like they need to be. And they, they, uh, they, they're whatever, focused on their emotions or their opinions or their set of facts. We don't, we don't know what the issue is, but it always amazes me. Paul went there. He went there publicly, and he knew they were mature enough to call out their names and say, sisters, you got to get this together, and brother, get in there and work this out. We don't know exactly what the issue was. If they lived in this decade or country, it might have been some political issue, Democrat this, Republican that, mask or no mask, vaccine or no vaccine, CNN or Fox News. We don't know, you know, what it was. But the message of Scripture is like crystal clear on this point. Brothers and sisters, you got to patch up those relationships. And if you're there and can help out in doing that, let's do that because we need to be working and one mind, one heart, side by side for the faith of the gospel. And we all need help in this from time to time. The last two years have been pretty challenging. They, uh, for most of us, in multiple ways. It's, we've been frayed around the edges, wearing us down a little bit as we've been waiting for change, <laughs> all kinds of change. But, you know, it's been illustrated a little bit, uh, maybe more than a little bit, you know, over this last year. It's 26 years of waiting by Braves fans here in Atlanta for the Atlanta Braves to finally win a World Series. Frustration, waiting, criticism, this, that. And today, we're celebrating, you know, in Athens, the national championship, the first one in 42 years for the University of Georgia Bulldogs, like the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years or whatever. It was a lot of challenge, a lot of, lot of feelings, being defeated by tigers, gators, and the ever-present crimson tide and everything not just exactly what you would like it maybe as a Georgia fan or need or it seems like it just takes so much longer than you thought. You know, defeat after defeat, you know, when you wanted more. But it's amazing to me. But those UGA fans, they stayed loyal. And they stayed there. They complained, but they're not going, you know, anywhere. And they were really rewarded. I think that can be a little bit like Jesus' church sometimes. Thousands of us really get that, but there are always too many that remain a little bit negative and a little bit fickle. When things need to change and you're waiting for it and everything's not exactly like you, like, like you hoped, some of us may have a hard time in what we're going through right now, but the message of Philippians is super clear. We do this together because we are brothers and sisters, we're each other's joy and crown, and we're dear friends. The book of Philippians ends out with a couple of verses leading in to chapter 2, which is often called those first 11 verses, the Mount Everest of Christianity, where you see the exalted Christ, and it leads perfectly into communion, you know, today. And so, uh, as you prepare for communion, it would be a great thought to open up uh, into chapter 2 and reflect on that message of Jesus there in those first 11 verses. And just think about the sacrifice that was made and all that was given 
so we could have this amazing heritage and this conviction that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, there's so much to be grateful for in this wonderful book of Philippians just reiterates it again and again and again. Most of all for Jesus, and we celebrate him with this bread and with this juice this morning, and we also celebrate the fact that we do it together as brothers and sisters, as dear friends, and ultimately each other's joy and crown as we reign with you forever. We love you so much. Thank you for this opportunity to lift up Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.